0: Welcome to the Milestone Church podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com messages. Good morning, it's great to be here this morning with you. I wanna welcome everyone who's watching online. Let's give them a hand and welcome those who are joining us right now. Wherever you're tuning in from, we're so glad that you're here with us. And uh, we believe that God's going to encourage you uh, through uh, the word. And, um, you know, I'm excited to kick off this series called Passion, The Journey to Easter. And I was thinking about it like, wow, Easter's already almost here. Like time just, just seems to fly. And I was thinking about passion and I was like, wow, you know, I got a story that I'd love to share With you about passion, you know, about seven years ago, uh, I developed a passion uh, of of backpacking and it it started off just by going on walks with my wife around the neighborhood and then it just kind of escalated and it just got to where uh, I I, for the last seven, eight years have gone to the Pacific Northwest and been able to backpack and and it's awesome. You get out of the concrete jungle, you get up in the mountains and uh, no cell phone coverage and it's just like, man, you feel close to God, you feel real small and you kind of, it's reflective, it's great. My friends are like, you like it's walking? I'm like, it's picturesque walking. It's, it's awesome. Uh, but this past October, my wife and I, we, we got to take our two oldest, our, our 20-year-old and our 18-year-old, kind of a combined birthday trip for them. Took them up to Olympic National Park, one of our favorite parks, and uh, we got to do some trails that we've done before as a family, but there was one in particular that I've been scouting out for several years. It's a backcountry, high alpine backcountry uh, backpacking trip that we we're going to do. I applied for permits and got it. And so October is, is really in the mountains. It's a crapshoot. You could get good weather, but you could get some really bad weather at the same time. And so we flew and, and uh, landed in Seattle and drove up to Olympic National Park. And you know, the whole time we're there, I'm just like, I don't know, babe, I don't know if it's gonna happen. and. My kids are like, come on, dad, you know, we're going to do this, especially my oldest daughter, Haley. She's, she's a lot like me, like, she's going to prove you wrong if you tell her you can't do something. And, and uh, she's like, we're doing this no matter what. And I'm like, okay, we'll see. So the day comes and, and, and we go, we drive to the trailhead and it's, it's been raining for the last couple of days and it's going to rain for another day and a half. And uh, so I'm like, God, this is not going to be so fun. My wife's like, oh, just be positive. It's going to be great. And I'm like, okay, you guys have no idea what you're about to get into okay we're gonna be good you know so we start taking off the trail and it rains the whole entire time and uh, we're several miles into it we've been hiking for probably four hours at this point and we get up to the first kind of alpine lake that we were going to kind of stage at to go to our next ultimately destination that night and when we get there man I mean it's raining sideways and uh we're we're, we're not dressed for the occasion I mean we've got some rain gear and stuff but we didn't have really warm stuff on and we started shaking and started getting cold and uh we're looking up at where we're going through the past and you can't see anything. It's just gray, it's dark, it's black. And, and I'm like, Lord, you got to give me a sign. I'm, 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 everybody's pressuring me to go up and do this, right? And, and my daughter, at one point, she just says, Dad, you told us not to raise any quitters. We're not quitting, we're just going. She takes off. And I'm like, she's challenging my manhood right here on the mountain, you know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, Lord, you got to deal with her, right? And so... We start taking off, and and all of a sudden, it's like, God, give me a sign. Because I I know the dangers of what could happen out there, and they don't. And so all of a sudden, I come around this bend, and there's two guys coming down the mountain Look like they just straight off, got off Mount Everest, you know what I'm saying? They're coming down with the gear and everything. And I'm like, oh, this is gonna be interesting. And I'm like, hey, so so what's the weather like up there? Like, it's getting bad, it's been snowing, it's got eight inches already, it's gonna be another foot and a half. And they looked at us and they said, y'all don't look really uh, dressed appropriately, you got trail runners on and some shorts. And I'm like, no, nah, brother, man, we, we are not dressed for some snow right now. And so they're, they're kind of just all looking at me like, what do we do? I'm like, you heard the men? I'm like, we can't be doing this, you know? And I said, let's just stop and camp right here. And it was a nice, picturesque setting, and so we hike around, and and we go to set up. We got two tents, the girls in one, the boys in the other, and so we're just hanging out, and all of a sudden, it's raining so hard. We just jump in the tent, and for like three hours, we're just trying to just wait. We're hunkering down, and... My wife was hollering, at, at, you know, from one tent to the, we don't hear, we don't know what's going on, the wind's blowing. And all of a sudden, I find out later, she's crying the whole time, she got food in her tissue sticks. bears are going to come get her. I'm like, woman, bears, they're right now taking cover, you know what I'm saying? And my son is like, Dad, what do we do, you know? And so it's just kind of like, I don't know what's going on, I'm sitting there for like three hours, I'm just contemplating, Lord, what do we do? Do we stay, do we go? And all of a sudden, I feel like I'm laying in a waterbed, water's all underneath my tent. All I got is one of those little little shovels. You know what that's for, right? That's not digging ditches. And so I jump out and I try to <laughs> dig a little trough. And so I dig a trench and divert the water. I'm like, this is for the birds, man. We got to get out of here. And so I was like, pack it up, man. We're getting out of here. So we packed it up. And we, man, we started going down. And what I didn't realize, that three or four hours we were in our tent, that all the water that was up on the mountains was coming down. And it was like flash floods. There were no longer trails anywhere. In fact, We hiked out in the dark in knee deep water the entire time. And there were several parts where it was over our waist. One scared of a mountain lion's going to get him. The other scared of a bear's going to get him. I'm scared my wife is going to just get wiped off the mountain by a waterfall, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, I'm such a terrible leader and a terrible dad, God, I'll, I'll, I'll never do it again, God. And we get down to the trail, we get in the car, and steam from just our bodies just fills the car up. So we drive an hour and a half. It's an awesome trip, you know what I'm saying? It was great. And so... <laughs> I'm in the hotel lobby and the lady's like, you know, taking her time. And I'm like about to go into hypothermia and I'm like, I need the keys lady right now. And so we get in there and then we boil some water and we eat our backpacker food. And my, my oldest daughter, she's pretty, but she, she's just, you know, she's just stubborn. And she's like, dad, I'm really sorry. I kind of pushed it too much. I was just really passionate about this trip. And I was like, yeah, and your passion almost got us killed. So when it comes to passion, sometimes it can be a good thing, but sometimes it can get us in trouble. And when we are talking about this final week of Jesus's life, it's known as Holy Week or or Passion Week. When you and I think of the word passion, we think of how it's used in our modern day terms. We think about passion being a zeal or passion being a strong emotion or sexual desire. But, But what if I was to tell you that it wasn't until probably 16 centuries after the death of Christ, that the word passion was, was used in a totally different way. In fact, the biblical way that the Bible describes passion, it comes from a Latin word, passio, which means to suffer. And so if you've ever thought about Mel Gibson's, you know, The Passion of the Christ, you ever thought, why do they name it that? It's because it's designed to depict the sufferings of Jesus during his last moments in life and what I want to do is you have your Bibles turn with me to John chapter 12 and we're going to get there in a moment but I want to kind of like give us a rundown and this is not an exhaustive list this is not everything that happened on these days but I want to I want to show you what happened from Sunday to Sunday in the last week of Jesus's life and and I think it's important to know that the third of the gospels cover the last week of Jesus's life in fact The Gospel of John from John chapter 12, where we're about to read all the way to the end, that's half the book of John. It all relates to the last part of Jesus's life. And so we kick off the Passion Week, this this week of suffering, with Sunday, and it's known as Palm Sunday, the week before Easter. And that's where we see Jesus riding into Jerusalem, on a donkey and then we see that he weeps over Jerusalem as he's kind of overlooking the city. And on Monday, Jesus goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple for the second time. He, he's kind of like, you know, driving them out and because they're, they're making a, a, a way for them not to be able to come to God, so he's turning over tables and we, we see that. That happens on Monday. He also curses the fig tree on Tuesday, Jesus goes back to the temple and he teaches pretty much all day from, from sun up to sundown. And that's, that's where we get a lot of the parables in the Bible, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It happens on, on, at this time, on this day. On Wednesday, we see that's where Mary, not the mother of Jesus, but the other Mary, where she takes the jar of perfume and she breaks it and she pours it over Jesus' head. And that was the preparation for Jesus' Burial, And then on Thursday, Jesus eats the Passover dinner with his disciples. That's the moment where Judas leaves the upper room and betrays Jesus. And then that's also where the night where Jesus is arrested. And so Friday is the trial, the crucifixion, and the burial of Jesus. And then Saturday, uh, that's where some members who are following Jesus, some ladies go in and properly anoint his body for burial and then obviously there's Easter Sunday, that's the resurrection and that's where Jesus appears uh, to people at least we know five different times. And so that's kind of a snapshot briefly of what's going on and I want us to read together John chapter 12. We're gonna be reading in verse 23 and we're gonna go through verse 34. So we'll pick it up in verse 23. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and, and it dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It says this, whoever serves me must follow me. Where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven and it said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said that it had thundered and others said an angel had spoken to them and Jesus says this voice was for your benefit not mine now is the time for judgment of this world now the prince of this world will be driven out and when I am lifted up from the earth I will draw all people to myself he said this to show what kind of death he would die he's talking about the cross verse 34 now the crowd spoke up They said, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Let's pray. Father, we ask today, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus, that God, you would speak to us through your word. And that Holy Spirit, you would illuminate the word. And that, Father, Lord, it would shine light in our hearts. That you would give us new truth and insight. But then, Lord, you would also... Help us to apply that to our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I want to take a few moments just to kind of unpack what we just read because there's a lot going on there. And in John chapter 12, according to the Jewish calendar, that was the the 10th day of Nisan. And so that was Palm Sunday. And I find it interesting in that we serve of God who does not allow any detail to go unnoticed, that God is very particular about things in, in history, and is also very particular about things in our lives. There's nothing that goes unnoticed, because on this day, on Palm Sunday, on the 12th the 10th day of Nisan, what would happen is a family would select a lamb, and they would take it into their home. And for several days, what they would do is they would comb over the lamb and they would look to see that there's no wrinkles or defects. And, And then once the lamb was proven to not have any defects, it was presented to the high priest and then it was sacrificed on behalf of the sins of the family on Good Friday on the 14th. And I find it very interesting and very intentional of God that Jesus would be on this very day while there was 256 thousand lambs that would be slain on good friday that represents about 2.5 million people that were in jerusalem for the passover so jesus is not coming out to a small crowd but how intentional is it of our god that as people are taking the lamb into their homes and then going to sacrifice it that jesus rides into jerusalem and presents himself to humanity as the lamb of god who would take away the sins of the world I think that if God is into those kind of details, that we forget that if he sees and knows and controls all things, that he's concerned even about the smallest thing in our lives. Jesus starts off and and he says a couple of things in this passage. And by the way, this is one of those passages that would have brought shock and awe to the Jewish people. This is probably one of the most controversial passages in the New Testament for those who are Jewish who would have heard it. Because Jesus starts off in John 12, verse 23, and he says, now the hour has come. And if you've been in church long enough or read a little bit about the Bible, you know there's several times that Jesus says, my time has not yet come, or my hour has not yet come. And what Jesus is saying in this moment, when he's saying, now is the time, he's saying, I'm focused on the cross, I fixed my eyes on the cross, and there's no going back. It was at this moment that Jesus set his face on his destiny and there was nothing going to stop him from accomplishing that which he came to the earth. But then he uses this phrase, the son of man. And instantly that would have been the phrase that would have triggered a heart response from everyone who would have heard it. Because they knew exactly what it meant and they knew the origin of that that phrase. It comes from Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel receives a series of dreams. And in the dream, he describes different empires um, that, that, you know, God is is showing him. And it's the Medes, it's the Persians, it's the Assyrians, um, all these empires who oppressed the Jewish people. But on the backside of the dreams, he says this, he says, But I saw one as appearing as the Son of Man who came and stood before the Ancient of Days. And it says, of his kingdom and of his throne, there will be no end. So for thousands of years, the Jewish people had been looking for a savior, the son of man, the Messiah, because they believed that he would come and set up a political earthly kingdom and he would overthrow their oppressors, which the Romans were at this very hour in history. So when he said, now is the hour for the son of man, They all of a sudden, their eyes lit up, their hearts got excited. But then he starts talking about the Son of Man being lifted up on the cross and it's like the air just comes out of the room. The cross held a shadow over Jesus's life, his entire life. And now is the moment that he's proclaiming to people that he is going to go and die on the cross. You know, we think about, this people and we think about, well, how could they be so disappointed? Well, you and I do the same thing. They thought God was gonna show up and was gonna overthrow their oppressors and do it one way, but God had another plan. They thought as of the Messiah, the Son of Man, coming by conquest of the armies of God, but Jesus was speaking of conquest of the cross. Jesus 1.0 came into Jerusalem on a colt, on a donkey, which represented peacetime, but Jesus 2.0 is coming in on a white horse and it represents war. And at that point, he will overthrow those who oppose him. But he has something much more important to deal with in this moment. He has to deal with the issue of sin. And many times in our lives when we think, if God's gonna show up in my life or in my situation, then God's gonna do this. God's gonna handle my boss. God's going to handle that person. God's going to deal with this. But a lot of times God shows up and he does things that are opposite of what he thinks, uh, we think that he's going to do. And then Jesus goes on and he says this. He says, my soul is troubled. And as I was studying this week and I was reading that, I thought, well, man, I know he's troubled because of the cross. I mean, he's God, but yet he's man as well. And so the physical agony and pain about what Jesus is going to go through must have been overwhelming. The torture, the pain, the agony. He saw other people get crucified, by the way, in his day, and he knew it was a horrific, painful death. Think about it if you know what's coming up at the end of the week, a pain like you've never felt in your entire life where your body would literally shut down because it cannot handle it. You would be so overwhelmed too. But as I thought about it, it's not just the pain physically. In this moment, we see that the spiritual weight of the sin of humanity had come upon Jesus in this moment like it had never done before in his entire life. The burden of having to carry the weight of the sin of humanity. And then also it's amplified by the fact that Jesus knew that by him being on the cross and sin being placed upon him, it would bring separation from him, from his father. There's the physical pain, the spiritual burden, and there's the relational separation that happens. But then God speaks. God speaks, and this is the third time in Jesus's ministry that God speaks audibly to Jesus while there are a group of people that can hear it also. It happens in his first of his ministry when, and he's baptized and he comes up out of the water and God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It happens the second time around the midpoint of Jesus's ministry when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration and he's on the mountain with Moses and Elijah and then Peter, James and John are there. And now it happens in this moment. And I find it interesting that at every single time that God speaks audibly in this way, he's speaking about the death of Jesus on the cross. He's almost reinforcing how much he's with them and how much, you know, that no matter what it's gonna take, God is gonna see him through. And he's also validating to those who listen because Jesus said, listen, it's not for my benefit, it's for yours. Jesus knew that they would doubt, He knew that when he died, they would scatter and run away. All of these unbelief thoughts would come into their minds. But when he was raised again from the dead and he appeared, he knew it would bring life. And all of a sudden, those moments would come flooding back to him. But in verses 31 and 32, there's three statements that Jesus makes that I want us to look at a little bit closer. He talks about the cross and the effects of the cross. And he he says this, he says, now is the time for judgment on the world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and when I am lifted up, he says, speaking of the cross, I will draw people unto myself. I'm going to give you three quick effects of the cross. Number one, the world is judged. The world is judged. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, you don't even realize it, but me going And dying on the cross, it's the cross that's pronouncing judgment on the world. In other words, what Jesus is saying is what you and I and everyone else does with that moment, the fact that he became sin on our behalf, what you and I do with Christ's sacrificial death, we will have to stand before God and give an account for how we respond to God's solution for sin. He's like, at this moment, the world is judged, there's no excuses. The second thing that happens, he says, is the ruler of this world will be cast out. We know that Satan was cast down from heaven onto earth because of pride. But he talks about the prince of this world or the ruler of this world. And when Jesus went to the cross, what he did was he disarmed the enemy and he took back the rightful keys and power of the kingdom of God. So in other words, he disarmed the enemy by the cross so that you and I could live life where the sting of sin and death could no longer hold us back, that we could live a life free. The third thing that happens, he says, is I will draw all people unto myself. When we hear and see about Jesus dying on the cross and God's love so demonstrated for us in that way, What happens is we realize it's a debt we could never pay and that love strikes at even the hardest hearts of human beings and it causes us to wanna come and give our lives to Jesus. Now, the Bible is full of paradoxes. And a paradox is uh, a saying that seems to contradict itself. But with further inspection, you find out there's really a lot of truth in what's going on. And in fact, Jesus starts his ministry talking about the Beatitudes. And it's this whole famous set of paradoxes that Jesus teaches with. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn, for they are comforted. But in John chapter 12, there are two paradoxical paradoxical truths that Jesus talks about. And I want to unpack those and then I want to pray for us. The first one is this, only by death comes life. Only by death comes life. Jesus, interestingly, he uses the analogy of a seed. And though it is true of the seed, really Jesus is the seed of God who came to die for us. But he says a seed is no good if a seed is preserved and just well kept. The seed has to go into the ground and be buried, be entombed, if you will. And what happens is, with enough time and nourishment, that seed will die. And it will separate from its shell, but it will spring forth life. He's giving us a picture of death, burial, and resurrection. And and basically what he's saying, unless that seed goes into the ground and dies, it's not gonna produce a harvest. And so in order for there to be resurrection power first death must come in order for us to have a new life and be be lifted up to a new life with Jesus Jesus had to pay the price for us I want you to think about this for a moment Um, imagine you have some some seeds some some wheat seed and you planted it into a field and you took care of it and it grew and it reaped a harvest, and you took more seed from that field and you put it in another and then another and then another, I would guess theoretically over the course of time you could cover the entire earth with the right environment full of wheat. What if the truth of the word of God and what Jesus would give to his disciples and ultimately give to us would be the truth and the seed of his word of God. When it was sown into the hearts of mankind all over the world, regardless of their, their, their social status or economical background or gender or race or whatever, that if that seed found the right soil, it would also reap a harvest for God in the coming days, in the coming ages. Why is this so important? Why is death so important? Because if we don't deal with sin, if God didn't deal with sin, then you and I would spend all of our time, all of our lives going through life and trying to figure out what we needed to do next to fill the temporary void. That vacation was great, but you know what happens on the last day of vacation? Oh, no, I got to go back home. And you look forward to the next thing. And so what happens is you and I have to deal with the sin issue because it doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what hobbies you have. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter any of those things. If we don't deal with the sin issue in our own hearts, if we don't take what Jesus did on the cross and appropriate, appropriate it to our life, apply it to our life, we're going to spend our life trying to fill a void that just cannot be filled. So we also too have to die. We have to die to ourselves, And that leads me to the next paradox is this. Only by surrendering our lives do we retain it. Only by surrendering our lives do we retain it. Matthew chapter 10 says it like this. It says, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, in every single gospel, Jesus says this. Every single one. In fact, in Matthew and Mark, he says it twice. And if you know anything about patterns in the Bible, there's always something called the principle of first mention. And when God mentions something in the Bible, he's setting a standard. But when God mentions something consistently throughout something, what he's doing is he's really trying to get a message across. In Jesus, he talks about a seed dying so that it can have life. And then he goes right to you and I. He starts talking about our lives. And he says this, listen, unless you lose your life, you won't find it. I, I don't know if maybe you've thought like I've thought before I gave my life to Jesus. When I heard about this, unless you hate your life, I'm like, God wants us to hate life? Like, what kind of God is that? I mean, does God want us to go around just kind of somber and like not having fun? And that's what a lot of people think when they think about this This passage, but really that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus wants you to have hobbies. He's cool with you going on vacation. He's cool with you having fun. I mean, Christian, we should have joy in our lives. We should be the most life-giving, fun-loving, just want to be around kind of people because we got the love of God inside of us. It's not, it's not about, you know, like we've got to no longer have fun because now I'm a Christian, so I got to be serious. That's not what Jesus is saying. In essence, this is what he's saying. Unless you make me the center of your life unless you place me on the center of your throne you will go through life trying to fill a void and you'll have all these other things you experience but you might very well in the end lose what matters most your very life to eternity i think about in 1997 january 15th is is that's the day that i gave my life to jesus and I didn't really grow up going to church a whole lot. You know, I went a few times or whatever, but you know, God wasn't really kind of on, on my mind at the moment or whatever. And um, I was facing 13 years in prison at 19 years old. I was suicidal and found myself in a, a, in a situation to where I just lost all hope. And honestly, I just didn't really want to live anymore. And so, um, you know, decided to end my own life. And I'm so thankful for the grace of God. so thankful for his goodness. Because if this was about religion, and I'd have quit a long time ago. I gave my life to Jesus because I realized that when I didn't even love myself, when I was so broken and I, I hated looking in the mirror, this God shows up in my life, the presence of God shows up and I thought, that's nothing like I thought God was he's not so far off he's not so judgmental he's closer than you think and he's more forgiving than you could ever imagine and I thought Jesus if that's who you are that's a God I want to give my life to there were about five days where I was just thinking about what happened I didn't realize it but I was counting the cost I didn't even really know what that was. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live in the faith in in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And what I was doing was I was counting the cost. I was like, if I'm gonna give my life to Jesus, I had this encounter. I know God's real. Nobody can convince me that he's not. I know he loves me. I don't even understand it, but he loves me. But I knew it was going to cost me something. It was going to cost me the way I was living my life. And it's amazing as human beings how crazy we get wrapped up in our own minds. Because I liked the going out and I liked the partying. I hated the results of what it was getting me, but I still was drawn to that type of lifestyle. And I thought, if I'm going to give my life to Jesus, I'm stepping over the line and I'm going all in or I'm not doing it at all. And what I was doing was I was counting the cross, and it's amazing, when I gave my life to Jesus, this self-centered, self-absorbed teenage boy who only thought about his own life and what he wanted to do, when the love of God entered my heart, there was an explosion of, of just love for other people that happened that I'd never experienced before in my life. Never experienced before. I was hurt by so many people. I had so many walls. I wouldn't let people in. But the love of God came in and it melted my uh, my hard heart. And all of a sudden, I started seeing people for where they really were. And I was overwhelmed with compassion. I saw people who were hurting just like I was hurting. And I thought, if God could do it for me, man, God could do it for them as well. What's the point of what I'm trying to communicate this morning? I think the application is this. It's the love of Jesus displayed on the cross by dying. That should compel us to center our lives around him and his mission. If you really understand what Jesus did on the cross for you and you really understand that you don't deserve it and that you are broken just like I'm a broken man and I need a savior just as much as you do. And when you understand it doesn't matter what your education level is, what your social status is, what's in your bank account. None of that matters in eternity. What matters is what will you do with Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on the cross. That's the only thing that matters. And I realized that, wow, I will never measure up, but God did it on my behalf when I could never do it. That demands not only a all out surrender to him, but a all out surrender to his mission. Wasn't very long ago, a few months ago that I was in a funk, you know, and I was just kind of like, God, just like my attitude wasn't good and my wife could see it. And she's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, man, I don't know. I'm like frustrated. And she goes, can I ask you an honest question? And I'm like, do I have a choice? And she's like, when was the last time you helped somebody else? She's like dagger. She's like, and the reason I say that or ask you that is because I often find myself getting in a bad spot when I'm I'm focused on myself and I'm not focused on other people. And all of a sudden I saw it play out so well just two weeks ago when all the ice and the snow and all that, like me and my wife were in my truck and we were delivering water to people in our neighborhood, people that we don't even know. And just the joy and just the love of like simply delivering a couple cases of water to someone felt so good because our eyes weren't on ourselves; it was on someone else. It leads me to this scripture, the last one I'm gonna read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for what? Themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. You know, I thought about this story. I heard many years ago and I thought it was so appropriate to share with you this morning. was in... 1910, it was Christmas Eve, Salvation Army was gathered together, and it was their annual kind of convention, and the founder and leader, General Booth, was in the final years of his life, and and he was so sick, he was an invalid, he he couldn't travel, and he was so discouraged because he wanted to be there to encourage the troops, and they had gone through a a hard season uh, of just cold and dark winter, and he wanted just to kind of fuel them and thank them for their service. But he couldn't go. It was physically impossible. And somebody who was close to General Booth said, why don't you just send a telegram? He's like, that's a great idea. But being the frugal man that he was knowing that a telegram charged by the word, he sat and he thought about his life. And he thought about how Christ's sacrifice on the cross impacted him so deeply. And he thought about what really mattered to Jesus was people. He thought about all those years of serving people and how it brought him such gratitude and fulfillment. And he writes down in the telegram one word and he sends it off. Salvation Army, they're all gathered together. The moderator steps up and he says, guys, I'm sorry, I have some bad news. Uh, General Booth, he's he's not gonna be able to be with us today. He's sick and all the air just kind of came out of the room. And he said, but he sent a telegram because he wanted to encourage each and every one of you. And everybody just kind of sat up in their chair and they were waiting. He breaks the seal of this telegram and he opens it up and he sees one word on the telegram. And it's the word others. I thought about that. I don't know if there's another word outside of maybe love that really describes Christ's heart for humanity. Because if you and I get close to Jesus, yes, we're gonna know who we are more. We're gonna know him better, but we're gonna find out what's on his heart. And we're gonna know real quick that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. And I think in this season that we're in, going into Easter, so many people are open to the gospel. So many people are gonna be coming to church and they might be coming just cause it's a family kind of pressured situation or maybe somebody at their job invited them or maybe they're new to town and they're just looking. It doesn't matter the reason they're coming. The point is they're going to come, not just to this church, but churches all over the place. And the great thing is, is that the truth of God's word is gonna be preached. And the word of God is alive. And that seed, when it hits a person's heart, you never know what God's going to do with that. And there's some very practical things that you and I can do. We could take a yard sign and we could put it in our yard. You think, well, that's so insignificant. Details. The 10th day of Nisan, Passover lambs were brought in. Jesus rides in as the lamb of God. God's into the details. Yeah. Take an invite card and you go to your place where you get coffee and you give it to your barista and you say, hey, I would love to see you. Or you pay for the people's coffee behind you and say, hey, would you pass it on to them? You invite that neighbor. You invite that family member. Don't underestimate the power of a simple invitation because God can take that small invitation and God can turn a hard heart just like mine was so hard and broken. And God can soften that heart. And from death comes life resurrection power not just to Jesus but to you and I and to people who need it most let's pray father I thank you for your word this morning God I thank you Jesus for the cross where would we be Lord without you God I know we'd be lost and broken and so unfulfilled but you made a way Lord you paid a debt that we could never pay and Lord that demands a response from us God place you at the center of our lives, God. And as we draw close to you, God, we find out, Lord, what's on your heart and your heart is burdened for people, God. Lord, I pray for every single one of us, God, that you would give us the burden, Lord, that you have, that we would have courage, we would have faith, Lord, to step out, maybe do something really practical, put a yard sign in our yard hand out an invitation, or pray for someone, whatever it is that you're asking us to do, because no detail with you goes unnoticed, God. It's not one person, Lord, that you don't know every hair that's on their head. You don't know every thought that's in their mind, Lord. You know every burden that's on their heart. And you too died for them, Jesus. So Lord, I pray this Easter season, that there would be so many people that would come into your kingdom, God. People that are far away, people that are just right there on the brink, Lord God. And Lord, we pray pray that we would have just a small part in that, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.